is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're so mad, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Woo! Yeah! Who is? I am the game. Costoco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, Waterrush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Are you ready? Everyone has a price. Yeah, I come here to fight. Sandy innovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell. Mania is running wild in New Orleans. Welcome to Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. The Beckerman clan has arrived in NOLA, New Orleans, Louisiana. The triple threat Beckerman clan is psyched and pumped for WrestleMania weekend. And we are so happy to bring it to you here on Beyond the Bell. We're trying to make up, like I said, for the lack of content the past few weeks with WrestleMania week on BTB. We kicked it all off going over the themes of WrestleMania. That was part one. Part two will come also this weekend leading into Monday Night Raw this coming week. And we'll cover the 2014 Hall of Fame induction ceremony. We'll be live on site from the Hall of Fame, giving you a perspective of what it's like in the crowd, in the audience, to witness this historic event, as well as we'll bring you the Beyond the Belt editions of the Hall of Fame. It will be split up into three parts. Part one will debut tonight, streaming live on SNSRadioNetwork.com. We are so excited. Saturday night, getting pumped for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which you can watch live on the WWE Network, but we'll also Break down the careers of Carlos Colon, Lita, and the Ultimate Warrior, part one of our three-part Hall of Fame series tonight on Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network at snsradionetwork.com, streamed on Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio. It will also be archived tonight at ringannouncing.com. Get pumped, fans. It's WrestleMania here on Beyond the Bell. Then, leading into WrestleMania and throughout our WrestleMania Hangover Week, which will be this upcoming week, will present parts two and three of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, where Jake the Snake Roberts, Paul Bearer, Razor Ramon, and Mr. T, all four's historic careers, will be reviewed here on Beyond the Bell in parts two and three coming up uh, over the next few days, leading into WrestleMania throughout WrestleMania Hangover Week. So excited for WrestleMania Weekend week here on beyond the bell we're live in new orleans ready for wrestlemania last night we enjoyed great festivities at wwe access my son is a hulkamaniac brother and leading into today wrestlecon for us 
as well as Access Part 2, hoping to enjoy some independent events throughout the area of New Orleans. And we'll get ready for the big show, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony tonight. I'll be flying solo for that one. And then leading into WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans, Louisiana, the big event. But we'll also enjoy Access Sunday morning, tomorrow morning as well. But today, this morning, we are going to go back into the archives of Beyond the Bell. Two years ago, when we started our WrestleMania month, we presented the untold stories behind WrestleMania. It was a two-part series. So for the very first time today, we will re-release this edition, go into the vault, but combine this two-part series into one jam-packed, almost three-hour episode. Volumes one and two have been released of the untold, untold stories, but tonight we will debut the combination of parts one and two of volume one, the untold stories of WrestleMania. Get ready, folks, as we present to you the stories you may not have ever heard of from the show of shows, parts one and two combined, to present to you a jam-packed untold stories of WrestleMania here on Beyond the Bell. Enjoy, folks, and we'll see you tonight for part one of the 2014 WWE Hall of Fame induction review. The most anticipated event of the year. The sheer spectacle of 75 to 80,000 people is pretty mind-blowing. A worldwide celebration. Everybody wants to be a part of it. Now, see how it all began. It was a huge gamble, the biggest gamble I've ever been involved with. Welcome to WrestleMania! For the first time ever, the untold story is yours in the true story of WrestleMania. There's so many myths, facts, fallacies, and hidden stuff, and people wonder about Exclusive behind-the-scenes access. Until you get to that moment a minute or two minutes before your match, it's not real. Untold stories. Um, when I was walking to the ring, it's like um, I couldn't think of anything but my dad. You know, I could feel his presence. That gives you an inside look at every WrestleMania created. There's nothing like it. An amazing event, but an amazing story to me of how it got to be. The true story of WrestleMania. WrestleMania. The title alone is a household name. Yet, the showcase of the Immortals hasn't always been the focal point of the wrestling industry. Over the past 27 years, now going on the 28th edition of WrestleMania, though Vince McMahon-led WWF slash WWE has gone from being a major property to a global phenomenon. And no event personifies the lineage and love of the business quite the way WrestleMania does. As we enter our 28th installment of the Super Bowl of Wrestling, like we talked about on the first episode of WrestleMania Month, so many vivid matches and memories come to mind. Each and every year, fans are treated to some of the biggest and best moments in sports entertainment. But every dark cloud has a silver lining. And sometimes, it is the untold stories, the myths, the magic, and mayhem behind the scenes that make the mania so dynamic. So sit back, my friends, and enjoy the following 27 stories 
from WrestleMania's past to the present and future of the biggest show of the year. From urban legends to mythical phenomenons and encounters and lost matches, this is the definitive, the definite, the absolute list of WrestleMania's greatest tall tales. We've seen and listened to the true story of WrestleMania DVD, which was an absolute work of art by itself. But this will go behind the scenes, possibly the stories that Vince McMahon and the WWE didn't want you to hear, or some of the rumors that carried over and surrounded WrestleMania history. So fans, get ready for the greatest stories of WrestleMania. Our first part will take a look at WrestleMania's 1 through 14. Let's start off with WrestleMania 1. Bruiser Brody's Bounty. Standing nearly 6 feet 6 inches tall, Bruiser Brody was the spitting image of a powerhouse who possessed all the strength and skill of the essential 1980s wrestler. Brody earned the nickname Bruiser as one of wrestling's first athletes to endorse an all-out style of brawling while sporting his caveman good looks. Brody was incredibly well-known during the 1980s, but hadn't really made the national spotlight his own. As he wasn't a WWF mainstay at the time of the inaugural WrestleMania in 1985, all that was about to change. However, as Brody was reportedly offered a large sum of money to run in during the main event of the inaugural WrestleMania and attack the competitors. But he wasn't supposed to attack just any of the four combatants involved. No, 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 no. Brody's shoot assault was to be focused solely on one of the biggest draws the company had at the time. No, not Hulk Hogan, but his tag team partner, Mr. T. As a television and movie star with a bad attitude and super bad appearance, Mr. T was making quite the mark as Hogan's running buddy heading into the first WrestleMania. The run-in, however, never occurred, as Brody allegedly rebucked any and all offers, reneged, whatever the case may be, to perform such an unadvertised and unwanted stunt. The incident was just the first in a string of bizarre occurrences for Brody's career, which ended tragically in 1988 when Brody was stabbed to death by wrestler-slash-booker Jose Huertas Gonzalez backstage at a World Wrestling Council event in Puerto Rico. This is one of the untold stories of the first WrestleMania. Next year on the Georgia Championship Wrestling... Guess who? Tell me, guess who? I know who you are. Yeah, you ought to know. Let me tell you something. I don't want to get personal with you or nobody else for that matter. But don't shuffle me as another name on championship wrestling. You know, when I came in the country from overseas last week, I was passing through Los Angeles and saw the show on TV. Gordon Soley telling everybody how big Bruiser Brody is. Everybody who knows anything about professional wrestling knows how big I am. You don't need to tell them how big, what kind of wrestler I am. What they want to know and what you want to know is what I can do in the ring. If what they heard about what I do in the ring is true. 
Don't give him the gaga about he's another big goose, 300 pounds in the wrestling business. Don't give him the gaga about what a good wrestler I am, because none of that matters. You get down to the guts of the situation and tell him exactly what I do in the ring. That way, I'm going to get along with you. I'm going to get along with everybody. The wrestlers, the promoters, the fans, and mostly you. Yeah, well, all right, I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. Brody, we have a match scheduled. Big Jim Duggan is scheduled to wrestle right now, and if you... Arm drag and twist now by Duggan. And it is... What? Well, I'll be... Bruiser Brody charges in as uh, Rose started to come to him. It's Bruiser Brody after Rose. The referee calling for the bell as uh, he is disqualified. Ooh! Slammed him into that uh, ring apron. Now has... Uh, and uh, Brody just going berserk here on uh, Pat Rose. Just went absolutely berserk. Again, Rose, literally demolished by this man, Brody, and, uh... Now talk to me. I feel a whole lot better right now than I did a couple minutes ago when I was out here. You know, a lot of guys can come out here week after week, and they can shoot their big mouths off. And I'll probably be the biggest offender there's ever been. Because I got a great big napper that nobody's been able to close. I told you... And I told everybody who watches this show, I don't care whether it's on the East Coast or the West Coast. I came here for a reason. Don't think I'm looking for work. I'm not. I came here because I was asked. I was asked personally to come here. And don't mistake me. I wasn't asked to come here for money. Because what I'm going to do here, I don't want paid for. I come here on a personal favor for a very, very personal friend of mine. And what's gonna happen? Go ahead, go ahead, butt in, because well, I know I'm we're gonna have a lot of conflict. Well, I'm just a little but I'm gonna make it clear, this is a beginning. Don't say I've never seen nothing like it, because you're gonna see a lot more of it. For a quarter century, WrestleMania has redefined entertainment. Welcome to the greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time. Welcome to WrestleMania. On April 7th, 1986, WrestleMania 2 pushed the industry's creative and technical limits to the max. This place is popping. Emanating simultaneously from New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, three sold-out venues held three main events. It's this wonderful. Celebrities, athletes, and entertainers lined up in droves to be a part of the second annual worldwide phenomenon. Oh, look at that! People shot right out of there! 1986's television tough guy, Mr. T, and resident hothead, Rowdy Roddy Piper, had a mutual disrespect for one another. It's not my idea to be talking right before a big fight. I don't like to do a lot of talking. My fist's gonna do the talking in the ring. If Mr. T can knock me out in this fight right here, I would quit and retire professional wrestling. I would quit tiddlywinks. I would quit dating girls. In a foreshadowing of celebrity superstar brawls to come, rules were meant to be broken. Oh, 
The main event featured the gargantuan King Kong Bundy squaring off against the legendary Hulk Hogan for the WWE Championship in the one and only steel cage match in WrestleMania history. If WrestleMania 1 broke new ground for entertainment, then WrestleMania 2 completely shattered it. Let's now fast forward to WrestleMania 2. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Enough said. The confrontation with Mr. T. Roddy Roddy Piper pulled no proverbial punches during his feud with actor Mr. T. He genuinely didn't like T. And T didn't like him one bit. We discussed this before. If you just listened to the WrestleMania Dream Card, we had a clip from the Hot Rod talking about Mr. T. Their on-screen hostility was a manifestation of an actual hatred that was at a boiling point when the two were to engage in a boxing match at WrestleMania 2. Everything started out normally, except that Piper was actually taking the whole thing seriously, leading into, into several grapples by Mr. T, wherein he and Piper would exchange words over the direction of the match. Though the finish was to see T win after a big fiasco involving Bob Orton at ringside, it didn't act exactly go that way. Piper, retrospectively, discussed how he would tease Mr. T with actual wrestling moves and shoot fighting moves to throw him off guard. This situation was seemingly no different, as Piper literally body slammed B.A. Brackus. <laughs> To the mat before officially being disqualified. He body slammed the A-team member. T no-sold the move, of course, and made a beeline for the rowdy one. All the while failing to realize that the crowd was eating it up. The real-life tension became too much to handle as the WWF dropped the angle after Mania, thus leaving us with an inconclusive result and no Piper for the next few months as his antics forced him to be removed from television. Realism and storylines kind of trend. It's you could say kind of transcending to WrestleMania 28, isn't it? What a matchup! Oh, nice fireman's carry. Another amateur move put to good use here as Mr. T hoists up Piper. What's he gonna do with him? Oh, drops him like yesterday's newspaper. Roddy didn't expect that. Look out, T now in the wrong corner. Here comes the hook. And all four of them are going at it in the corner. And it's head out of hands already. Lost control here. Ali's spooking. Ace is up there. Muhammad Ali is getting into the ring. And we're getting chaos five minutes into the match, Gino Monsoon. Ali stepped right in there. Oh, look at Ali. Took a shot at Piper. Who goes out? Ali not going to take anything from anybody. Muhammad Ali chasing Ace out of the ring. The, the former champion of the world is taking control of the ring and driving Ace Bob Orton back to the floor. We knew we were playing an integral part in this match, and Muhammad Ali, as the outside official, is maintaining order. All three men outside now, Hot Rod, Piper, Mr. Wonderful, and Ace Bob Orton. Billy Martin, look at the look. He's loving this. Inside the ring, waiting patiently, Hulk Hogan... Mr. T and Jimmy Superfly. Anything and everything is going to happen. Piper giving us a sign for a timeout here. They're headed for the dressing room, Jess. I don't believe it. No Roddy way. Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. 
dressing room. No way, he cannot do this. This will not be allowed, will not be tolerated. These gentlemen will have to return to the ring area. There you see Muhammad Ali, the referee outside the ring. Count going on, but no, sir, the Hulkster doesn't want any part of that count. He wants these guys back in the ring. Hulk Hogan saying, no way, the referee Pat Patterson. He says, get him back in the ring. WrestleMania 3. Okay, let's now talk about the WrestleMania math. 78,000 equals 93,000. Let's get into this, fans, shall we? For 23 years, it stood alone as one of the greatest achievements in the history of live events. With the recorded attendance of 93,173, WrestleMania 3 from the Pontiac Silverdome was the largest crowd for any indoor sporting event in history. And who could argue with the greatest headlining match of that time between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant? Or how about the classic undercard clash between Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat, which we discussed? WrestleMania 3 is remembered for at least a dozen reasons. But the indoor attendance record is easily the most flaunted one of them. Too bad the number isn't really what it seems. It has long been rumored, confirmed, denied, then confirmed again, that the World Wrestling Federation inflated the attendance figure as a means for publicizing the event as a greater success than it already was going to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the broadcast position of the Silverdome, Pontiac, Michigan. I'm Gorilla Monsoon, along with His Lordship, Alfred Hayes, getting ready, getting prepared for this unbelievable event, Alfred. It's just astonishing. History will be made. You can say all those epithets, mind-boggling, unbelievable, was very good. But isn't it incredible that 93,000 people are here to watch 12 great, great matches? It's amazing. There were wrestlers who were literally born for this day. There are thousands of technicians who have been working around the clock to get the Silverdome ready for this titanic event. It's going to be history unfolding in just a few hours here. To quote Gorilla Monsoon, it was a happening. Not only in Detroit, but in the Cena household. Aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, grandfather, grandmother. We must have had 30 people watching that program that night. We pulled up early that morning to the venue, the Pontiac Silverdome, and saw a line of people. The longest line that I'd seen in my entire life. And the attitude of the people standing in line was a festive attitude. The people out in the parking lot tailgating. All I'm seeing are fans having a great time tailgating. I thought that was only for football. And then when I walked into the arena, wow. I must have said wow a thousand times that day. Just to look around and see 93,000 plus people here to have a good time, to be entertained. It was a moment I'll never forget. think of anything but my dad. And I love my dad very much. And, you know, stepping through the ropes, it, you know, I could feel his presence. Tis majesty, 
was a good thing. Still do it today. Though the actual number, which was more like 78,000 fans, was still incredibly impressive, especially even to this date, 93,000 looked that much better. In 2010, the record, fictional or not, was broken by a crowd of well over 100,000 at the NBA All-Star Game in Cowboy Stadium. And I think next year at MetLife Stadium, my hometown in New Jersey, they're going to shoot and try to beat that record, which they have potential to do. To quote Gorilla Monsoon, it was a happening, not only in Detroit, but in the Cena household. Aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, grandfather, grandmother. We must have had 30 people watching that program then. We pulled up early that morning to the venue, the Pontiac Silverdome, and saw a line of people, the longest line that I'd seen in my entire life. And the attitude of the people standing in line was a festive attitude. The people out in the parking lot tailgating. All I'm seeing are fans having a great time tailgating. I thought that was only for football. And then when I walked into the arena, wow. I must have said wow a thousand times that day. Just to look around and see 93,000 plus people here to have a good time, to be entertained. It was a moment I'll never forget. as it a ring, it's like um, I couldn't think of anything but my dad. And I love my dad very much. And, you know, stepping through the ropes, it, you know, I could feel his presence. It was a good thing. Still do today. I was a bit overwhelmed as I looked up at that crowd with just a, a sea of fans all over the Pontiac Silverdome. And ladies and gentlemen, we have established, all of us, a brand new indoor attendance record of 93,173. Wow, 93,173 here in the Silverdome. WrestleMania 4, we saw the exit of the dragon. Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 4 was the first major rematch in the event's history, but it wasn't supposed to be the first. Actually, that honor looked for the longest time to be going to another classic encounter between Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. After WrestleMania 3, Steamboat was walking on sunshine. He had been booked to remain Intercontinental Champion for a long time and was expecting a child with his wife, Bonnie. Little did he know that one would 
well, that one would sabotage the other, as he asked for some time off to be with his wife soon after beginning his title run. Offended that Steamboat would throw away his golden opportunity for a miracle for the miracle of childbirth, Vince McMahon punished Steamboat, as it was heard, by having him drop the title to the laughable Honky Tonk Man, thus beginning the greatest run or the greatest intercontinental championship run of all time. And while Honky went on to become, quote-unquote, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, a designation that was likely supposed to be Steamboats, the Dragon pressed on, eventually returning to the company just in time for WrestleMania four and the championship tournament. The bracket had been set where Steamboat would have the opportunity to face Randy Savage in the opening round, a contest that was sure to tear the roof off Trump Plaza. I was there, but management was still out to punish Steamboat for his previous choice, and thus forced him to lose to Greg the Hammer Valentine. Steamboat quickly quote-unquote retired from the business, only to resurface in the NWA the following year. His next WWF stint or run, I was combining the two, Dunn was just as embarrassing as he wasn't allowed to be known as Ricky Steamboat. He was simply the dragon and was forced to do things that a dragon would do, like breathe fire. Steamboat has said it was the worst part of his career, but now he is a WWE Hall of Famer and now still works with the promotion as a producer slash agent. So Ricky Steamboat still no matter what happened, and no matter what the story was at WrestleMania 4, still one of the greatest competitors of all time. All right, over the last couple of months, it has been very difficult for me to introduce this man without using World Wrestling Federation champion Hulk Hogan here at WrestleMania 4 this afternoon. You've got the opportunity to change that. Oh, yeah, it's been hard to live with, man. fee fi fo fum andre One long year, and your time has come, man. No marks, no scars, no blemishes on the Hulkster, brother. But inside, man, I've been scarred for one long year. Everywhere I go, man, all the little Hulksters ask me, is there any truth to the fact that there was a controversial count. Hulkster, did you really get him over your head? Did you really beat the Giants? Well, today, man, in WrestleMania 4, we're going to wipe all that controversy out. Andre the Giant, in the second round, when you're fresh as a daisy, with the whole world watching, I'm going to prove, brother, that I can beat you anywhere, anytime. And all my Hulkamaniacs, they're going to feel it, too. Speaking of the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, we have seen him here in Atlantic City, and I know millions others are watching very intently all around yeah, the world. but if you look in their eyes, man... Have you seen the fear in all those little holsters? They realize that when I get Andre the Giant cinched up in the launch position, when I slam him through the Trump Plaza, brother, from New York down to Tampa, Florida, the fault line is going to break off. And as Andre the Giant falls into the ocean, as my next two opponents fall to the ocean floor and I pin them, so will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. But as Donald Trump hangs on to the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea, thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. He'll know enough to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kids, dog paddle with his life all the way to safety. 
But Donald, if something happens, you run out of gas, and all those little Hulkamaniacs run out of gas, just hang on to the largest back in the world, and I'll dog paddle us, backstroke all of us to safety. Oh, and thank you, Hulk Hogan. Let's get back to action. Wow. Back-to-back years, we saw WrestleMania come to Atlantic City. Trump Plaza, WrestleMania 5, Andre the Giant versus Big John Studd, Part 2, The Cancellation. The WWF was riding a WrestleMania high after the third installment. After all, it was the biggest event in the history of the business and helped do more for pay-per-view than any other event ever had before. WrestleMania 4 was to keep the success rolling with the first ever WrestleMania rematch between Hogan and Andre. But Andre's career was already in the twilight stages when he wrestled at the Silverdome in 87. By 88, Andre could barely compete in this ill-fated rematch, and so plans went to Randy Savage to hold the strap by defeating Ted DiBiase. Then at WrestleMania 5, with Savage already slated to face Hulk Hogan in a clash of the Mega Powers, one year in the making, WrestleMania to WrestleMania, Andre was looking to have another rematch with the familiar foe. After nearly three years on the shelf, Big John Studd made a full-time return to the ring in his first big face role even going as far as to win the 1989 Royal Rumble. It was no secret that Stud was, well, had a score to settle with Andre, dating back to the very first WrestleMania, when Bobby Heenan was by his side. Now, the tables had turned, and Stud was the one looking to get even with the one of the Heenan family members. But neither man was really up to the task when it came time to book the event. So the WWF went back to their first creative idea of having Andre hook up with Jake Roberts while Stud provided the officiating duties. Overall, it was an incredibly anticlimactic finish to a career that showed such promise with the comeback win at the Rumble. Stud's comeback lasted just about six months before he permanently retired. Andre, on the other hand, continued to diminish in his in-ring role from singles competitor to tag team foe to sporadic manager until his death after an illustrious career. Hulk Hogan, yeah. You say you don't know where the macho man is coming from? Yeah, you're right. You don't know anything about the macho man, Randy Savage, and where I'm coming from. Because it's mind-boggling to you, yeah! One man could make it to the top of the World Wrestling Federation mountain, yeah, all by myself. No pukesters helping me to the left, and no pukesters helping me to the right. Didn't need them then, don't need them now. And another person I don't need is Elizabeth either, yeah, because I'm the champion by myself, all by myself. You don't know where I'm coming from, Hulk Hogan, this Sunday afternoon. But I know where you're coming from, yeah. I know everything about Hulk Hogan, yeah. I know what makes you tick, yeah. And you've got the audacity, yeah, to see that in WrestleMania 5, that Hulkamania is going to survive. You don't know me, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> 
You don't know where I'm coming from. After I beat you with that big elbow and pin you one, two, three, guaranteed victory. I'm going to tell you and all the pukesters out there one last time before this Sunday afternoon. Hokamania is dead. That will lead us to WrestleMania 6. Zeus bombs. Thankfully, it was no secret that Vince McMahon wanted to do more than promote wrestling. And by 1989, he was going to take over Hollywood. At least, that's what McMahon had in mind when he cast the biggest intellectual property. Hulk Hogan in the ill-fated production No Holds Barred. Hogan, starred as the most popular wrestler ever, would have to defend his friends and family from an evil network executive, his cronies and cross-eyed monster named Zeus. Though the movie was panned universally, it managed to make back its budget and was substantially beneficial in bringing more attention to the WWF product. So, naturally, McMahon believed that the Hogan-Zeus battles could transcend the silver screen and become Big Bang for his company. It was then that Zeus, better known as typecast actor Tiny Lister, was brought in to work several events against the Hulkster. Zeus appeared to face Hogan at SummerSlam and Survivor Series that year and was even featured in a steel cage match that was just an appetizer for a special pay-per-view event which delivered the feature presentation No Holds Barred as a package. I remember remember watching that at home. Couldn't wait to see the feature film No Holds Barred. All of these matches were tag team affairs that failed to showcase a solo confrontation for the two titans. Perhaps it was for the best as all of these matches had the appeal of a pineapple on pizza and were twice as awkward. I know that was bad, fans. Terrible. This match had the appeal of watching paint dry. No chemistry off camera or off the Hollywood Hollywood floor coming into the squared circle. Zeus was slated to appear at the 1990 Royal Rumble and make a statement that would force Hulkamania into challenging him for the main event of WrestleMania 6 at the Sky Dome. Could you believe it? Possibly Zeus versus Hogan at the Sky Dome. Finally, a one-on-one encounter between them and between the stars of No Holds Barred, just as Vince had envisioned it. The crowd, however, had other ideas. Fans quickly became disenchanted with the whole angle and were instead flocking to the rising stocks in the mid-card competitors, the likes of the Ultimate Warrior. Since Lister was being paid on a a pay-per-appearance basis, McMahon dismissed his original plans and instead went with Hogan vs. Warrior in the Ultimate Challenge, which we discussed in the Hulkamania Chronicles. The rest is wrestling history, as you found out. Hulkamaniacs, 
when I said that WrestleMania 6 was more intense than all five WrestleManias put together. I meant it, brothers. Every workout that I train is more intense. The pressure on my back is more intense than ever before. And every minute that I try to sleep, my heart pounds like a drum. I feel Hulkamania's in danger right now, Hulkamaniacs. This is the ultimate test of all times. And when I get in danger, I go back to my roots. I go back to the instincts. That's why I went back to Gold's Gym, Dennis Beach, California, the power pit. That's why I went to the magic mirror, and I said, mirror, mirror on the wall. It's the ultimate warrior, the one that's going to make the Hulkster rise and fall. Usually I get a clear-cut answer, Hulkamaniacs. But this time, the magic mirror looked at me and said, Hulkster, you understand the natural balance of nature. You understand the food chain. You'll know if it happens. You'll know when it comes. All of a sudden, Hulkamaniacs, I started getting worried. The mirror faded out. There were no more answers. That's when I realized that WrestleMania 6 was the most important day for the rest of our lives because it will predict the future. Ultimate Warrior, if you're that little teeny Hulkamaniac that has trained and said his prayers and eaten his vitamins and finally rose to the number one contender position, I don't recognize you, brother. Maybe that's why you wore the war paint. Maybe that's why you cover your face so I won't know who you are. But as we get into WrestleMania 6 and you feel the power of the largest arms in the world, as I wipe that war paint off your face, Ultimate Warrior, if I realize that you are the new chosen one, I have an obligation to my Hulkamaniacs to fight with everything in my heart. My heart is strong like a lion. My arms are like the redwood trees in the forest. I have no flaws. My thoughts, my mind, my soul is pure. But Ultimate Warrior, it has been written, it has been said, and it shall be done in WrestleMania 6. And if I find out that you're the one that has to walk for an eternity in my shoes, brother, let it be. But you got to prove to me by beating me and all of my Hulkamaniacs that you are the ultimate Hulkamaniac. And if you're not, what's that going to do when the largest arms in the world run wild on you?
take the two pilots that have already made the sacrifice so that you can face this challenge. Dispose of them, old Culkin. Assume the controls, old Culkin. Stop that control! Into a nosedive, Hulk Hogan! Push yourself to total self-destruction. As you realize, Hulk Hogan, you are about to enter a world close to parts unknown. Do you, Hulk Hogan, look for a place to hide, or do you, Hulk Hogan, face that challenge that may be more powerful than even you are, Hulk Hogan? You, Hulk Hogan, must self-destruct so that you will know, Hulk Hogan. Hogan! I am not the chosen one that you speak of. I am not. I, Hulk Hogan, am the only one. At WrestleMania 7, there were quote-unquote security issues. Never one to shy away from a timely controversy, the WWF often enjoys the art-imitating lifestyle of doing things. So when America went to war in the early 90s, of course, the WWF acted swiftly in bringing back Sergeant Slaughter to increase fan morale. Except that Slaughter wasn't back to be good old G.I. Joe. Instead, Slaughter returned as an Iraqi sympathizer that would spew venom at the crowd about how he and Saddam Hussein were best friends. While all this was in terrible taste, the decision to book Slaughter into the WWF Championship was equally controversial. With WrestleMania 7 just around the corner and looming, the WWF decided to forego a potential money-making rematch between the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan in favor of Slaughter against Hulkamania. Vince McMahon even had the bright idea to book the event in the massive Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in hopes that the show of incredibly patriotic heroism would motivate over 100,000 fans to beat that 93,000 quote-unquote record to attend this event, thus shattering all other records, and finally defeating that WrestleMania 3 record, which we already was questionable, which we already questioned in a previous story. 
Vince McMahon honestly believed that Hogan Slaughter would outdraw Hogan Andre. Then, just weeks before the event, the WWF changed the venue from the Coliseum to the Los Angeles Sports Arena due to quote-unquote security issues with Slaughter's character as an Iraqi turncoat. Such a citation was immediately noted as being suspicious. And sure enough, it was confirmed that the WWF simply had not sold near enough tickets to fill the Coliseum. In fact, had the event gone on as planned, there was a better than 90% chance that the venue would have been less than half full. Ticket sales were projected to be around 30,000 when the change took place, leaving still around 70,000 seats to be claimed. The arena, however, would be full to capacity of almost 17,000, which was more than enough for WDF to make the switch to claim ulterior motives. Jobs at WrestleMania 8. Bret Hart has a plethora to say about his wrestling career in his autobiography, as we all know, entitled Hitman. And through all of his stories, are certainly, you know, throughout all of his stories in the book, they're certainly insightful. His WrestleMania tales are perhaps the most intriguing. As part of a gala affair at WrestleMania 8, Hart was to challenge the current Intercontinental Champion, Roddy Piper, to a match for the strap. It made sense, seeing how Piper had won the title during a contest with the Mountie, where he was an emergency substitute for the Hitman. During the planning of the contest, Brett and Piper agreed that there needed to be an extra level of depth and violence to keep the fans hot and entertained on the edge of their seat for this matchup. The only problem was the WWF was practicing a strict no-tolerance policy on blood, particular if stars were partaking in the act of blading, kind of how it is today in the PG era. See, if a wrestler was legitimately cut in the ring and began to bleed, he was instantly forgiven. Couldn't help that. It's combat, folks. But McMahon was becoming increasingly displeased with an intentional use of blood and put the locker room on notice that cutting oneself would not be acceptable. When it came time for Piper and Hart to clash, they cleverly devised a series of moves that would allow Brett to blade but convince others that his cut was legit. One exposed turnbuckle later and the hitman was gashed profusely. The match was a hit, made more so by the addition of an extreme edge. I have a feeling this may be included for the 
WrestleMania Dream Card Volume 2. Meanwhile, in the WWF Championship Contest later that evening, Ric Flair was seen blading on camera in a fairly obvious show of disregard for the backstage policy. Flair suffered a heavy fine for the job, while Hart never revealed he got away with murder really until night, or until 2007. Thank you, Gorilla. This is one tough assignment. I'm going to attempt to get comments from the now former World Wrestling Federation champion, Ric Flair's you executive... Shut con- up, Mooney. This is the way it is. Macho man Randy Savage, you call yourself a macho man? Well, what's so macho? What an injustice. I'm not going to stand out here and say anything that wasn't true, macho man. You had a handful of trunks. The trunks were up. The stupid referee, a bad job of officiating. I'll tell you, Bobby, you saw what happened. Did you see what happened? I just got down from the booth. He had your tights. I saw it. It's on camera. It's on tape. I got it. There's nothing to worry about. He had the There's nothing to worry about. Wait a minute. There's well, a tactics that Flair was using out there that were questionable. What we have right now is a man that'll walk around town tonight claiming to be the real world champion, claiming to be the second time WWE heavyweight champion. You'll be claiming it all. And most of all, you'll be claiming the love of that Jezebel, Elizabeth. Now, Savage, unlike a lot of people in the greatest sport of them all, we don't cry over spilt milk. We reassemble a team. <laughs> the money, the brains, the nucleus, and we say to our opponent, you did it once. Now, let's see you do it again. One time means nothing to my career. Tell him, Mr. Perfect. I'll tell you what. One time means nothing, macho man. Like your old lady, you're going to be damaged goods because this man has never taken a shortcut in the world of wrestling. You, macho man, have taken a shortcut. You had a handful of tights. We were out there. We were wrestling. This man was the greatest World Wrestling Federation champion of all time. Here it comes. Let everybody have a good, long look at it because they're all going to see how the handful of tights. Here it comes. Watch. Watch, Moody. You get a good look. Look at that handful of tights. That's the champion. He cheated. He doesn't deserve to have the title. like his old lady, a cheater. Well, the way it stands right now, there is a new champion in the WWE. Now, we regroup together where I go, perfect goes. It's all monitored by Eden. And like I said before, Savage, might not be tomorrow. It might be the day after. But I'm going to beat you, and I'm going to beat you bad. And every time I see your old lady, I'm going to kiss her on those moist, wet lips. Woo! baby champ. Well, as you know, this is not a very safe place to be. I'm out of here. Let's go over to Mean Gene Okerlund. All right, thank you very much, Sean Mooney. With me right now is the brand-new World Wrestling Federation champion, Macho Man Randy Savage, along with the First Lady, Elizabeth. Now, some might say, Macho Man, that uh, that was a questionable victory. You heard them talking about the tights and so forth. Oh, do I care? I don't even care. 
It's okay. This is a piece of what I wanted from you, Ric Flair. This is what makes you tip. This is what makes you tick. This is what makes you tick from the inside out. And I just took a piece of you. You haven't been beat up properly. But I'm going to do that for you, yeah. This isn't all I want from you, Ric Flair. I want the whole nature boy. I want the whole Flair package. Call yourself the real world wrestling federation champion. Well, I guess I am now. And what you did to Elizabeth, I guess you couldn't make me any madder than I was before I went into the ring, but somehow you did it. You made it possible, yeah. Made it possible. Now I'm going to get the rest of them. I don't care if it's in the street, parking lot, doesn't even matter to me, yeah. Because I'll do anything to win. If I didn't prove it, I'll prove it next time. Oh, yeah. Let's go. It's, wait, wait a minute, if I what? may, Randy. Yeah, Elizabeth, what? after what happened here at WrestleMania, the fact that Randy defeated Ric Flair for the World Wrestling Federation title, in light of all of the allegations and everything that's been going on in past months, do you feel at this point that you're vindicated? Wait a minute. What? This is yours. Take it and go. And this is yours, Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. This is yours. You can have all of me next time. Do you dear? Oh, Mr. Perfect, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm out of here. Oh, yeah. Just a beat. All right. Thank you very much, the Macho Man Randy Savage. We are in Indianapolis. We're at the Hoosier Dome. Oh, Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this is WrestleMania 8. Brett versus Hogan. What never was from WrestleMania 9. The world's largest toga party. Two years in a row with a Bret Hart story? Why not? By 1993, Bret Hart had been established as one of the biggest stars the WWF had to offer. He was the world champion for the second time and was about to face the challenge of the titanic Yokozuna. But throwing a monkey wrench into the plans was the ever-working mind of Hulk Hogan, who wanted another run at the top before he ended his run in the business. You see, Hogan was actually contemplating leaving wrestling in favor of an acting career, and was well on his way before the mania drew him back in. They always pull you back in. So the plan was simple. Yokozuna would beat Bret Hart thanks to interference from Mr. Fuji. Then, when things looked at their worst... Hogan would make the save and challenge Yoko to an impromptu title match that Hogan would win. Now, depending on which story you read or hear, the whole thing blows up. The most common report is that Hogan was slated to drop the title that year at SummerSlam to Bret in a match that would truly signify the passing of the torch. Hart even claims to have taken press photos and magazine stills that would be used to market the contest. But sooner rather than later, Hogan's ego war with McMahon got in the way, and Hart was thrown by the wayside, of course. An agreement was reached where Hogan would instead drop the belt to Yokozuna, but of course, not without some sort of interference. So Hart was written out of the title picture for almost a year before his surprising comeback win at WrestleMania 10. All of it started a year earlier in one of the most bizarre and quite possibly worst WrestleManias in memory. If any vessel fortitude you would accept my Yokozuna challenge, come on! Come on, you yellow belly, come on! 
So Fuji says his Yokozuna is issuing a challenge to Hulk Hogan. But Hogan is more concerned with helping his friend Bret Hart. We need one more second. We will put on and wait down. He's the line right now. He says, Fuji says, he'll put the title on the line right now. Quite simply, the story involves overbooking and overbooked WrestleMania. And that came from WrestleMania 10, the 10th anniversary in WWF, WWE standards of WrestleMania. The 10th WrestleMania was an instant classic competition in the form of brother versus brother. The memorable ladder match and an intense Falls Count Anywhere affair were just the tip of the iceberg. The card from Madison Square Garden was quite an impressive one. I was there firsthand to witness it. If not altogether too crowded to keep the action going. This crowd was this this card was filled. And so with 10 matches to get through at WrestleMania 10, how fitting, right? It looked like something was going to hit the cutting room floor. It wound up being a 10-man tag that bit the dust as it was scheduled to fill the gap between the ladder match and the WWF Championship match. On screen, the reason given was that the heel team comp- comprised of Jeff Jarrett, Rick Martel, IRS, and the Head Shrinkers could not actively decide on a team captain and therefore disbanded. They had enough. Thus, their opponents, a team comprised of the Smoking Guns, Tatanka, Sparky Plug, and the 123 Kid, were without competition. Surprisingly, the majority of these 10 men would remain ultimately undeterred by the snub, becoming some of the biggest draws for the company over the next year and a half. With the exception of the model, each of them would make a future mania appearances. Of course, losing your spot on the card may not be the worst thing after all. Just ask Adam Bomb, who at the very same WrestleMania fell victim to horrible timing. Bomb was an up-and-coming villain in the company who had a great look. You know, a bit cartoonish, but he had decent skills for what his body size and role was, 
it, he was decent in the ring. He was even managed by Harvey Whippleman, giving him that extra bump to start him. How we miss the role of a manager. Vicky's keeping that alive to this date, but Baum needed Whippleman to give him that added edge. Baum was scheduled to face the massive earthquake, who was well on his way out of the WWF by this point. A win for Baum and subsequent push up the card as a big-time threat was a lock. But with time pressing against them, the WWF went a completely different direction. Baum came to the ring as planned, but stood off to the side while Whippleman picked a fight with ring announcer Howard Frinkle. My man. Earthquake then hit the ring with a vengeance and flattened Baum in 32 seconds. He then left the company as expected, but Baum failed to ever make an impact thanks to one of the worst squash matches in WrestleMania history. That's even including the Boogeyman versus Booker T. Within the next year, Baum's career sat idle while Whippleman entered into a dubious feud with the Fink that ended with the infamous Tuxedo match, which I'm sure we'll get to on Beyond the Bell. The Atom Bomb character was last seen tossing miniature Bomb Squad footballs into the audience for cheap hops. Poor Brian Clark. He need a chronic after that one. A decade in the making, WrestleMania 10 returned to where it all began. history-making night, the WWE Universe witnessed two hearts compete like champions, and the heartbreak kid taking one giant leap into WWE immortality. Owen and Bret Hart were the foundation of the legendary Hart family. United we stand, divided we fall. In this ferocious battle between sibling rivals, there were no titles at stake. Personal and family pride were of even greater consequence. I don't know what law it is that says just because you're older than me, that makes you better than me. It doesn't make you better than me, Brett. The brothers' vitriol led to two virtuoso performances in one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. Bret Hart cannot beat his younger brother, and he senses it right now. Bret Hart going up. Look at this. A victory. No. The Hearts had a match for the ages, but it was Shawn Michaels who stole the show. That's what it's all about. The two Intercontinental Championship belts hanging from above. In the first ever televised ladder match, Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon gave a glimpse into the future of the WWE. How could he still stand after getting hit with that ladder like that? Unbelievable! Thanks to Razor Ramon and the incomparable Shawn Michaels, a ladder match at WrestleMania has come to mean money in the bank. Bam, bam, get slammed at WrestleMania 11. Love saying that. Bam, bam, get slammed. Bam, bam, Bigelow had the unbelievable task, or should I say really the unevitable task of working one of the biggest angles of the year 
with someone who wasn't even a wrestler in 1995. This unenviable task was took place long before the days of Akibono and Money Mayweather. Bigelow was appointed to play the top heel in a feud with former football star Lawrence Taylor. The idea was that Bigelow would put an incredibly green Taylor over in the final contest of the evening, and that in doing so, Bigelow would be launched back to the top of the card for one final run towards the belt. (gasps) I said belt. Bam Bam had never really had such an opportunity, but with such a dearth of talent during 1995, the WWF was looking to him to turn it around. Pat Patterson was even booked to referee the contest, so everything went smoothly. I remember noticing this on, on TV when Pat Patterson was the referee. You know he was there to make sure everything went un- went as planned and was under control. Pat made sure of it. And so Bigelow put himself through a surprisingly decent match that saw Taylor thrust from the second rope and threw the beast from the east for the win. After a few months away, Bigelow would return stronger than ever and ready to fight for the championship. What he wouldn't count on, however, was the click. While Bigelow was building towards his breakthrough, his biggest break of his career, he watched as other big men like Mabel got pushes that failed miserably. That spot should have belonged to Bam Bam. After he would attempt to cash in on his own fortunes for doing the LT job, he would be thwarted by the likes of Shawn Michaels, WWF champion Diesel, and Razor Ramon. With them controlling the interests of WWF creative at the time, Bigelow basically he basically got the shaft. He would leave the company shortly before ni- the 1996 Royal Rumble, thanks to creative differences, eventually aligning himself for a huge career boost in ECW, which we'll surely get into, before another ill-fated trip to the big time and WCW. Bigelow never did get that opportunity. He was almost outright promised, and he was one of the greatest big men, the most one of the most agile big men in wrestling history, and that Mabel push should have went to Bam Bam Bigelow. On any given Sunday, anything can happen in the WWE. It's Hollywood! It's unbelievable athleticism! But this wasn't just any Sunday. It's the greatest spectacle in sports entertainment! This was WrestleMania 11. Lawrence Taylor, a football champion, was lured onto this unfamiliar battleground by a scheming behemoth. No pad, no helmets, just me and you, man on man. And I'm gonna have me some fun. Come WrestleMania. As the New York Giants swaggered boisterously to the squared circle. A curtain of muscle formed a menacing tableau at ringside. A constant reminder, there would be no surrender. A fierce clash of brute force ensued. Without protection of pads nor helmet, the gridiron warrior seemed outmatched. Things not looking good for Lawrence Taylor. I think Bam Bam could probably beat him anytime he wants to, but he wants to show the world he's making a statement. Suddenly, a Niagara of blue and black poured down. He caught him! I cannot 
The clarion call of the final bell signaled the end for Bam Bam. Unbelievable Lawrence Taylor has done the impossible. On any given day, anything can and does happen in the WWE. At every given WrestleMania, history is made as it was that night with WrestleMania 11. Get the F out of my ring. That is what was said at WrestleMania 12. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were at the top of their retrospective games when they clashed at WrestleMania 12 in the fabled Iron Man match. 60 minutes of incredible endurance, skill, and strength made for one of the most memorable contests ever. What was still a secret at the time, however, was the growing animosity between Hart and Michaels that spilled over into the finish of this contest. Michaels was to defeat Hart. That much was true, but with 60 seconds to go. Hart locked in the sharpshooter and refused to let go. The idea was that Michaels would last the entire time without submitting, thus ending the contest in a draw until a mandatory overtime could be enforced. All went that way, all went as planned, except that Hart began to exit the ring and make his way backstage with the belt. He seemingly wanted wanted no more to do with the heartbreak kit or the match, attempting to force a draw. When he was summoned back to the ring for a five-minute overtime, Hart obliged begrudgingly and was pinned in just about 90 seconds. As Michaels rolled over to embrace the moment, Hart lay defeated in the ring. After previously trying to storm out, he was instead milking the situation in hopes of a final shaking of hands between the two. Instead, Michaels was handed the WWF Championship and motioned verbally to Brett that he should leave. But it wasn't any motion from Sean. Audibly, Michaels turned to Earl Hebner, the referee, and had him deliver a message for Brett. Tell him to get the F out of my ring. And he didn't say F. He said it all, folks. We're, we try not to curse here and be on the bell. We try to be a clean show for kids of all ages and grown men of all ages. But HBK got very heated when it came to getting Bret Hart out of his ring. 3,600 seconds, 60 minutes, one hour. In WrestleMania lore, these numbers mean one thing. The Iron Man match. While WrestleMania 12 heralded the debut of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H onto the grand stage, it is the legendary 60-minute Iron Man match that elevated WrestleMania 12 to the pantheon of greatness. Two superstars, one singular goal, to be champion. Shawn Michaels was controversial with a boyhood dream to be the best. Brett the Hitman Hart, a proud champion and rightful heir to the Hart family legacy. And here we go, 60 minutes long. Shawn is more of an instinct, man. Brett is more of a strategy. Here comes it, they're all buzzed. This capacity crowd buzzing. They've never seen anything quite like this. On 
This night, the genuine animosity between these men proved to be the inspiration for a masterpiece. In a match decided by most falls in an hour, shockingly, there were none. With 30 seconds left, a sharpshooter should have been the end. Become Mr. WrestleMania would not let his dream die. I don't think Michaels gave up. This match has been ordered to continue. In sudden death, the heartbreak kid would find life. WrestleMania match of the last millennium by the WWE Universe. The Iron Man match and WrestleMania 12 are forever synonymous with greatness. That leads us to the lost smile in WrestleMania 13. Of course, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were only about to begin their true hatred for one another. Everybody seems to know that backstage, Michaels was all about getting his way and would simply walk away if he didn't. Brett, meanwhile, let the bitterness swell and wasn't about to put up with too much more out of HBK. The plan, as it were, was for Brett to repay the favor to Sean from WrestleMania 12, thus winning the WWF Championship back from HBK. But just about a month before WrestleMania 13, Michaels claimed a huge injury that would keep him out of action past Mania. Disappointed, Vince McMahon asked Michaels to cut a promo about the situation while forfeiting the championship belt as the company was forced to completely rebook WrestleMania. And so, HBK cut the infamous Lost My Smile promo, which was easily the least sincere or or heartfelt retirement speech since Brett Favre. That's a Jet fan talking. Michael's adolescent antics left the WWF in a very tough place, having to redo much of the top of the card since their epic rematch was now off. Instead, well, instead of competing with Michael's, Hart would turn his attention to his up-and-coming new rival, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and the WWF Championship would be held by Psycho Sid in a match against The Undertaker. Remarkably, HBK's career-threatening injury healed, and he was back before the end of the summer. This leads us to another story of WrestleMania 13, a two-parter, kind of fits hand-in-hand. As Bret Hart lost the opportunity to face Shawn Michaels in the main event of WrestleMania, he actually took part in one of the biggest moments in WrestleMania, if not professional wrestling history, as the greatest double turn took place that same event in WrestleMania 13. The double turn. In professional wrestling, a double turn is an incredibly rare happening that may well be the WWF equivalent of Haley's Comet. And in the World Wrestling Federation, there was no greater double turn than one pulled at the 1988 Survivor Series when the powers of pain aligned themselves with Mr. Fuji, who had double-crossed demolition. Or was there? We look now to WrestleMania 13, 
Bret Hart and Steve Austin were about to create wrestling magic during their submission match. Austin was a bloody mess and the callous heel who was about to get what was coming to him from the babyface Bret. As Bret locked in the sharpshooter, special enforcer Ken Shamrock came into play to check on the fallen Austin. Screaming and writhing in pain, Austin lost more and more blood but refused to submit. Jim Ross provided the commentary, so epic, emphasizing the incredible grit and determination of Stone Cold not to give up. Austin eventually passed out and Hart was declared the winner, but the hitman refused to relinquish the hold, leaving Shamrock to force him off. As Brett left the ring, he was still somewhat cheered, but most were catcalling Brett for his show of poor sportsmanship. Austin, meanwhile, left a battered, bloody wreck who almost universally cheered was cheered for his performance. Brett wouldn't be a face within the WWF for another 13 years, while Austin led the biggest boom in wrestling history since the 80s. It was the start of the Attitude Era. And I know you're just as disappointed, more so than anyone else, that you are not defending the championship against Psycho Sid, or for that matter, whomever would have been stacked up against you. And no one has taken on more challengers. No one in the history who's ever won this championship belt has ever had the schedule, has ever had to endure the kind of schedule that you have so readily taken upon yourself. Well, there's uh, one thing about me is that I can't do anything halfway. And I, you know, I come here and I hear the people and they chant, uh, Sid's name, or they chant Brett's name, and they chant a lot of people's name. And one thing is for sure, you're going to have all of that in the future. Um, and that's what I want for the World Wrestling Federation fans. In spite of um, what people may think about me, what I've always wanted for all these people is, is for them to have a good time and to enjoy themselves. I've always tried to be the one to provide it, whether it was on the good side or the bad side. Um, but was all, what was always most important to me was the performance, was the performance so that these people, each time they reached in their pocket and they paid to get a ticket, they didn't regret it because they knew that if they saw my name on the card, they could yell, they could come and they could cheer and they could boo, and they could do whatever they wanted as long as they had a good time. Over the last couple months, uh, there's been a lot of talk of people uh, having bad attitudes and a lot revolving around this belt. Uh, all I know today is that one thing that's not going to revolve around this belt for a long time is, is going to be Shawn Michaels. Uh, I don't know where I'm at right now. I have to, uh, I have to have everything checked. I may have, I may be beyond reconstructive knee surgery. I may or may not be able to fix it. But if I can't come back and perform at the level that I performed at before, I can't, I can't perform. Uh, I can't come out here and just go half-ass. I have to come out here 
and I have to romp and stomp, and I have to get tossed around, I have to toss people around, and I have to have fun. Uh, the schedule over the last year I took on because I didn't feel like I could say no. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to enjoy my life as a champion. I wanted to, I wanted to ride in Lear jets, and I wanted to ride in limousines, and I wanted to be on TV shows, and I wanted to do autograph sessions, and, and I got to do every bit of that. And if nothing else, I have all of that to take with me. But again, and I know right now we're in the middle of a time where toughness is real big here in the World Wrestling Federation. And unfortunately, all I've got right now for you is a lot of sorrow, a lot of tears, and a lot of emotion. I don't have any toughness for anybody. Um, so I guess, you know, here you go. Here's your belt. And uh, what I'm going to do is go back home and see what's left for me, whether it be in this ring, whether it be out of this ring. I know that over uh, the last several months, I've lost a lot of things, and one of them has been my smile. And, and I know it doesn't mean a whole lot to everybody else, but it means a lot to me. So I have to go back and fix myself and take care of myself. And I have to go back and I have to find my smile because somewhere along the line, I lost it. And I don't care, really. I don't care if it's unpopular. I don't care if uh, people want to make fun of me because I'm an emotional guy. Um, but this is, this is all I've ever wanted to do. And uh, over the last year, I got to do it. And whether you like me or not, I just want to tell you that uh, Last year was the most wonderful year of my life, and uh, if I never do get to do it again, it'll be okay because I got to live one full year as being the number one guy in this business, and it was the single most greatest year of my life. And I have you to thank, and I have everybody here to thank, and it means a lot to me. And we'll wrap up part one of the stories of Wrestlemania with Wrestlemania 14. Legion of Doomed, Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors, will go down as one of the greatest tag teams in professional wrestling history. We talked about it in the edition of the greatest tag teams of all time. Check it out on the Beyond the Bill archives. There is no comparison or debate for the only team to ever win the real big three of wrestling tag championships, the AWA, NWA, and WWF tag team titles. But in 1998, the Legion of Doom had pretty much run their course. These mega faces from the 80s weren't able to pulverize every enemy in their past anymore, as the crowd just wasn't buying it. New adversaries, namely the New Age Outlaws, were the Road Warriors, well, made the New Road Warriors nearly obsolete, with one last chance to bring LOD to some sort of revel- relevance and prominence, the WWF booked an angle wherein Hawk and Animal would brawl until the duo was no more. In, write them, in writing them basically off television, the absence would make the fans' gr- hearts grow fonder, of course. That's what they thought. 
and soon they'd have no choice but to accept the Road Warriors back as their Superman tag team. As part of the effort to reinvigorate them, they were given a new manager, Sonny, and a complete and total new look. With updated biker helmets, pads, and outfits, they were to be known as LOD 2000, the tag team for the new millennium. Their surprise return during WrestleMania 14 was meant to signal the start of a new era for the greatest tag team to ever walk the face of the earth. Backstage, however, however all was, was not well. Hawk and Animal already had a reputation as stiff workers who didn't care too much for their opponents, and being booked into a 15-team battle royal with 20 other workers, including fellow hard-nosed combatants like hardcore Bob Holly, didn't bode well for the team. Instead of going along with the booking plan the two that the two were to run through the Battle Royal, both found that their various opponents were trying to look like equals in the ring with the almighty Road Warriors. Such a stark contrast what the LD were for, familiar with before led to the swift demise of LOD 2000 and the introduction of a third member, Darren Pugh Drozdov. Within, mo- within months, they had gone from the team that could last another decade with a sleek update to a divided minefield with personal tensions and issues running at an all-time high. In the spring of 1775, the shot heard round the world started an American revolution. In Boston, Massachusetts, more than 200 years later, there was another kind of revolution going on. It's WrestleMania 14! 1998 was the dawning of a new attitude in the WWE. If the Rock feels like this, nine times out of ten, he'd be a hung jury if you smell what I'm cooking. <laughs> and after WrestleMania 14, nothing would ever be the same again. It's mine! It's mine! And this crowd is going absolutely crazy here! Woo! Even guest celebrities had an attitude. You know, I left tickets for Bill Bucker, but he couldn't bend over to pick them up. in need of adjustment. He may think this is fun and games. Wait a minute! Good God! No! No! That's Pete Rose! Pete Rose just got tombstone! And this crowd in Boston loved it! In the main event, one of the most important matches in WWE history. This is what our business is all about. Shawn Michaels against Stone Cold Steve Austin! With the baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson, as the special enforcer, the two superstars who personified Attitude battled in a back-and-forth WWE Championship match for the ages. Oh, this is so intense. The gut check here is off the paint. The champion was poised to retain his crown. Michael's tuning up the band for some sweet chin music. Until a stunning turn of events. Awesome.
Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. And I want to take a moment to let you guys know that personally, I appreciate the support that we've had here on the SNS Radio Network over the years. And I'm here to tell you about a new way that you can help us out and show your support for the SNS Radio Network. We now have a way for you to uh, donate to the SNS Radio Network. If you go to the snsradionetwork.com main page, scroll down, there is now a donate button on the page. Now, I'm not saying you have to donate to us, but your donation is very appreciated as we do a lot of hard work on the SNS Radio Network. It's been a lot of our time and our own money to make sure that you guys have uh, entertaining podcasts and live shows on the SNS Radio Network. So to those who have donated so far, on behalf of the SNS Radio Network, we appreciate you and your continued support. And for those that will donate in the future, again, we thank you for your support of the SNS Radio Network. www.snsradionetwork.com, providing you with free podcasts since 2010. WrestleMania 15, a superstar was gunned down. The WWF Brawl for All tournament was either the smartest or dumbest idea of 1998 for professional wrestling. The idea was to take a bunch of WWF's mid-card stars, stick them in a tournament that would combine boxing, shoot fighting, and mixed martial arts to see who was legitimately the toughest man in the company. So yes, despite the fact that men like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker were running roughshod over the competition, this was the event to see the toughest wrestlers in the world. Amidst the WWF's campaign, though, it was well known that the company was lobbying for Dr. Death Steve Williams to emerge victorious and receive a major push heading into WrestleMania 15. There was just one problem, though, and his name was Bart Gunn. Gunn was a southpaw who formed one half of the former tag team champions, the Smoking Guns, during the mid-90s. But he hadn't done much of anything since. After floundering as part of the new Midnight Express, Gunn was set to take on Dr. Death in the second round of the Brawl for All. In one fell swoop, Gunn landed a stunning knockout and killed the last push Dr. Death would ever receive on major North American territory. Despite the Oklahoma gimmick in WCW... In fact, he would kill his own career in North America in the process. Despite marching through hard-nosed Bob Holly, Dr. Death, and finally Bradshaw en route to being the toughest guy in the World Wrestling Federation, he was booked into a one-sided boxing match against the devastating Butterbean. Though Butterbean had a long been a novelty boxer, he was still far more serious and in tune than Gunn had ever been heading into WrestleMania 15. Terrible matchup, so instead of a potential rivalry between Stone Cold and Dr. Death, we were treated to a first round knockout in just 30 seconds that silenced the Bark on Train forever. Though he would later be revered in Japan, Gunn became the poster boy in the United States for a horribly failed idea that admitted just how tough, quote unquote, some pro wrestlers can be. Let me say this, and I'm sure that. Everybody can agree with me. There have been a lot of stupid things done in professional wrestling. I mean, for example, you know, the last two years of WCW, it was pretty much weekly. And I think everything that they did was probably stupider than the brawl for all. But I have to say that when I look back, there's been specific incidents or maybe 
finish of a match or just a promo that came and went or something that the WWF did that was stupider than the Brawl for All. But as far as an ongoing thing that did more damage to their business, that did more damage to the talent, that didn't work, and that went on for so long, the Brawl for All probably, I would say, would take the prize for the stupidest thing that the WWF has ever done. Now, I know that that opens me up that everybody's going to say, oh, now here he's going to unleash 15 minutes of I hate Vince Russo, my, my colleague at TNA. <laughs> and it was Vince's idea, and it was a stupid idea. But, you know, a lot of people have had stupid ideas. Everybody has stupid ideas. I've had stupid ideas. But, you know, nothing, nothing like that that ever went on that long and et cetera. But when you think about it, it wasn't the fault of the guy that had the idea. It was the fault because a lot of stupid ideas get talked about and then shot down. But it was the, the fault of the guy who runs the company. So we got to go back to my other friend, Vince, Vince McMahon, who actually, I, he wasn't on drugs, I'm pretty sure. Uh, he wasn't under extreme mental duress at that point, otherwise than the ratings and the fact that business was down. It just basically, he allowed something that was so stupid that could have been seen on the surface of it that wasn't going to work and was just going to lead to disaster. He allowed it to go on his television, so I vote for Vince McMahon as being responsible. Here was the concept for those folks who are too young or who have, what do they call it when you get that syndrome where you put a horrible memory of abuse or violence out of your mind? Well, whatever it was, for the people who have forgotten it, let's talk about the Brawl for All. <laughs> they had this concept where they were going to take guys on the roster, anybody that wanted to sign up for the thing, and they were going to have what amounted to a glorified tough man contest where the guys would get in there and wear boxing gloves and basically have a tough man fight, and it was going to be an elimination tournament, and it was going to be a shoot. That's right. They were actually telling the guys to get in the ring and beat each other up for real, and the winner of the fight, to make sure they tried, would get $5,000 and continue on for a big prize, right? Overlooking the fact that there was a lot of great athletes and a lot of tough guys in the WWF, but they had, ne had not been in training for competition. They had been in training for performance, which the unathletic people who constructed this, and Kevin Dunn was in it too. Can't forget my old friend Kevin. The un unathletic people who constructed this had no fucking clue that that's a recipe for disaster. But also the fact that they put not only underneath guys who may have not had a spot, who were trying to get over and wanted to get a break any way they could in the thing, but they also allowed top guys who wanted to enter it to be involved in it. Not many did, but one guy who we'll talk about in a second entered it because he felt he could win it and should have won it <laughs> and went on to disaster. So when I heard this concept, I said to him, I said, wait a minute, now these are from the people who brought you sports entertainment. I said, now wait a minute, used to... We got in the ring, and we worked with each other, but we made people believe that we were really hurting each other, and they bought tickets. Now, for the past several years, you have basically beaten the fans over the head with the fact that this isn't real, it's all fake, it's all scripted and choreographed, and you pretty well now have gotten down to the last few people in the world that haven't heard about this, so everybody thinks everything we do is phony. And now that they think that, you're going to put the guys in the ring to really hurt each other and shoot, and the people aren't going to believe it anyway because you've told them for the past several years it's all phony. Are you following this logic, Tommy? Absolutely. Okay. And they looked at me with straight faces, 
and like I had smoking turds hanging out of my mouth, and said, well, yes, because it will be a shoot, overlooking the fact that nobody was going to fucking believe it. So anyway, they start out with a thing, and, uh, and we talked about last week, Bart Gunn and Bob Holly, I believe, were in the first round, might have been the first fight when they were supposed to be the new Midnight Express, so thankfully that, that euthanized that gimmick. In WrestleMania 2000, we saw the Jericho Shuffle in his latest book, Undisputed, How to Become a World Champion in 1,372 Easy Steps. Chris Jericho details one of the better stories to come out of WrestleMania's past in the last couple of years. For you see, according to Jericho, he was supposed to be in the main event of WrestleMania 2000. Mere months after debuting, Jericho was scheduled to be one of the main event players in the Fatal 4-Way Contest with McMahon in every corner for the WWF Championship. He was getting paid like a main eventer, and the crowd was solidly behind him. So it only made sense that Jericho hit the big time with a big match on the biggest card of the year. But, for whatever reason, that didn't happen. The most logical and likely of explanations is that Jericho, who was scheduled to be the fourth man in a match that also included The Big Show, The Rock, and Triple H, wasn't warming up too well in the locker room. The boys in the back, particularly Triple H, were none too happy with his antics on screen. Though Jericho had made a living for the previous five or six years as a whiny heel that did childish things and belittled all of his opponents, that type of heel wasn't going to fly at the WWF level. Unfortunately, by the time Jericho began to turn the corner, it was too late. All of the press materials that had been produced with, Jericho, with Jericho's likeness were replaced with that of McFoley, who had quote-unquote retired and wrestled his last match less than a month earlier at No Way Out. Though Foley had no intention of going on full-time after his crazy Hell in the Cell match with Triple H, he was brought in for one last shot at the big time in the main event. Foley lasted only half the match, finding himself as the second man out behind the big show. Triple H inevitably won the contest, retaining the WWF Championship. Jericho, meanwhile, was demoted to a triple threat two out of three falls match with Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle that had two titles on the line. Despite the caliber of names on the marquee, the match did not steal the show, and Jericho's win, which saw him take the European title, would be overshadowed when he dropped the title the next evening to Latino Heat Eddie Guerrero. Jericho would not compete in the main event of any pay-per-view until 2001. It was the 2001 edition of the King of the Ring, nearly 15 months later. He would headline a WrestleMania just nine months after that. Continental Championship, but you've also got bad breath and a terrible case of B.O. Look at the gold around Kurt Angle! It absolutely disgusts me what he does to the WWF gold. Now I realize that I made a bid to put up a title in a triple threat match against Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho at WrestleMania, but this is ridiculous. That I not only have to put up one title, but I now have to put up both of my titles. The first fall will be for the European title, the second fall for the Intercontinental title. Triple threat rules. Oh no! 
Gunther trying to use the belt on Jericho. Y2J with a championship title that right ahead of Kurt Angle and with the Benoit. And what the heck? That's Bob Backlund. Where did Bob Backlund come from? And Angle just almost cut Jericho's head off with a title belt. Hey, Mr. Benoit, get your hands off my belt. WrestleMania, Jericho, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, two fall title match with Triple Fred Rules this Sunday at WrestleMania. WCW is DOA, WrestleMania 17. When World Championship Wrestling folded capably into the hands of Vince McMahon in March of 2001, the wrestling world shook as the Monday Night Wars ended. The fate of WCW was up in the air, and with just a week to go until WrestleMania, it appeared as if one of the biggest stories would be who from this company could make their debut on the grandest stage of them all. With a street fight scheduled between kayfabe WCW owner Shane McMahon and his father Vince, the creative team began churning out ideas as to who could perform the run-in that would cost Vince the match. While the biggest names in the company were first thrown out, Many failed to realize that McMahon had already sent them packing or wasn't about to sign them. So the original proposal, ironically being Jeff Jarrett, was scrapped. The second idea that came up was for Paul Heyman to encourage Shane Douglas to get involved instead. Douglas, who had made a living as the franchise in ECW before coming over to WCW, was still very much bitter about his treatment in the previous tenures with the WWF and outright refused to do it. He would appear in the stands with the rest of the WCW talent during the event, but wasn't even outed by name. The final proposition was for Booker T, the last WCW World Heavyweight Champion, to run it and actually cost Shane McMahon the match instead. Believe it or not, the World Wrestling Federation axed this idea because they honestly did not know where to go with it from here. So instead of promoting a WCW revolution on the biggest stage they had, the creative team spearheaded a Plan D. Linda McMahon, who had been acting as a vegetable for the past several months, the vegetative state, would rise out of her wheelchair and cost Vince the match. Though the crowd reaction was immediately positive for this decision, it would be a sad foreshadowing of things to come as the potential WCW invasion was thrown out by the wayside in favor of the McMahon family squabbles. The perfect beginning to the storyline would have been kicked off at WrestleMania 17. Instead, WCW was DOA. Shane McMahon is on Nitro! What in the hell is he doing? Shane McMahon showing up on Nitro was more shocking to me than Eric Bischoff showing up on Raw. What's up, Vince? That was a big surprise when Shane showed up on Nitro. No doubt about that. Your ego has gotten the best of you. Seeing Shane with that Nitro logo might have been the strangest thing that I never thought I'd see in our industry. The deal is finalized, and the name on the contract does say McMahon. However, the contract reads Shane McMahon. The NWO changes the plan at WrestleMania 18. Heading into WrestleMania 18, the WWF 
reintroduced three men to the audience that would once again help revolutionize the industry. Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash, collectively known as the New World Order, the NWO. They were on their way to the ring just one month prior to the biggest show of the year. Meanwhile, Triple H secured himself a spot in the main event, and both Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock were without any definitive plans. And then there was Chris Jericho, who despite being the undisputed champion, never seemed to be a lock in the position. With the addition of the NWO, fans and wrestlers alike began to wonder of the fate that would befall all of them. Initially, it was planned that The Rock would face Hogan and Austin would face Hall, while Kevin Nash would inherit the title from Jericho and take on Triple H. Rock and Hogan went full steam ahead, but Austin and Hall hit several roadblocks. The largest issue was that Austin did not want to work with Hall, citing his reputation as a worker and politician backstage, at backstage as reasons for such. So the plan was put in place to have Austin take the title off of Jericho and battle Triple H for the gold after No Way Out. Hall and Ash would be rewritten into a tag team match of sorts. When No Way Out was finished, Jericho still had the title and Austin would go back to working Hall. The next night, it was planned that Nash, the only one without a match, would take the title and face Triple H. A Triple H-Kevin Nash main event? Not for another year as Nash didn't even compete on the WrestleMania 18 card, and all went down with Jericho still taking on the game. Still, re the rewrites made you believe that the once powerful NWO had all the power of backstage politics in their group. The WWF is going to die. I know that. The WWF... Has cancer because of Ric Flair. Flair's gonna kill it. And the kind of cancer Flair gave the WWF is the slow eating kind of cancer. It's not quick. I'm not going to let Ric Flair kill what I created. Me. The WWF is mine. It's mine. I created it. I'm not going to let Ric Flair kill what I created. Because I'm going to kill what I created! I'm gonna kill it! I'm gonna kill my creation! I'm going to inject the WWF with a lethal dose of poison. If anybody's gonna kill my creation, I'm gonna do it. Me. Safeco in stereo at WrestleMania 19, around the time of WrestleMania X7, the WWE looking, they were looking to make a huge impact with WrestleMania by booking 
some of the biggest venues they could find. Only a few manias in the past decade have exemption status from seating over 50,000 fans, and those include names like Madison Square Garden. But while the WWE was making big venues in big cities sell out, they picked an oddball candidate in 2003. Seattle Safeco Field, a relatively new stadium designed to host 81 Seattle Mariners games per season, was selected as the host of WrestleMania 19. The choice would turn out to be the most difficult the company had made in years. As behind the scenes, things were unraveling rapidly. Though it had a roof structure attached, Safeco Field was, for all intents and purposes, an open-air outdoor venue. The WWE had only put on one outdoor WrestleMania to that point. It was under the heat of Las Vegas, Nevada for WrestleMania 9, which we discussed. Now, ten years later, technology had evolved, and wooden flats or cardboard stages simply would not do it. Attempting to brave the elements, the WWE immediately had to battle a weather forecast that called for typical Seattle rains. That was an easy fix for the company, electing to keep the dome closed during rains so as not to detract from any facet of the event. But the sound and video boards were not nearly as fortunate as the massive venue struggled mightily with the WWE-style use of pyrotechnics, lights, music, and video. In the end, a lot of technical aspects from WrestleMania ended up flawed and the company had little recourse on the matter. It was, overall, a spectacular wrestling event that delivered on all fronts, but from a standard of good show quality, it was something of a miss. As a response to the growing concern that the company wasn't ready to handle the big venues and their ever-changing products, the next three WrestleManias returned to their roots. WrestleMania 20 was already scheduled to take place in Madison Square Garden, but the inclusion of the Staples Center in 05 and the Allstate Arena in 06 were much smaller choices for an event that could easily draw 60,000 people a year. So Safeco Field made the WWE play it safe for WrestleManias to come. We as athletes breathe every breath of our careers for nights like tonight, for nights like WrestleMania. WrestleMania to me is everything. WrestleMania is called the granddaddy of them all. And you stand on the grandest stage of them all. It's that time of year when you're on the card at WrestleMania that you stand before millions of people and you stand before your peers. And it lets people know that you mean something. WrestleMania is the Super Bowl of professional wrestling. It's the uh, World Series of Wrestling. It's like the Olympic Games, the gold medal match. It's a tournament of all tournaments. WrestleMania conjures up so many memories of so many special moments. So many great events, so many great matches. The very first WrestleMania, I watched it on TV and I had goosebumps then, just as I've had every single WrestleMania that I've that I've had the privilege and honor of working at. WrestleMania 3, 93,000 people in the Pontiac Silverdome. When I got Andre the Giant over my head and I body slammed him, the wrestling world stood in awe. WrestleMania, it's fever, man. There's really that X factor and an intangible I can't explain. You just have to feel it. It's a feeling you really can't describe. It's an adrenaline rush every single time I step through that curtain. I don't care how many times you've been. It's still something that you can't help but be in awe of. It's a time to shine and to take that spotlight and make it mean something. WrestleMania is the time to give a career performance that no one will ever, ever forget. WrestleMania to me is the culmination of all my hard work, all my
dedication, all my sacrifice to simply be the absolute best the industry has ever, ever seen. WrestleMania to me is the most important match of my life. Something that I've lived for for the last 30-something years. My favorite WrestleMania moment has yet to be seen. This match, this event means everything to me. Tonight's the night the dreams are made of. WrestleMania is the chance to live forever. At WrestleMania 20, we saw MSG 1, Lesnar versus Goldberg 0. It should have been the biggest match in the history of WrestleMania, by all accounts from the build. It was going to be. Brock Lesnar versus Bill Goldberg was a dream matchup of two of the greatest brawling powerhouses, powerhouses the business had ever seen. Each had a meteoric rise to the top and was seen as an unstoppable winning force, so the battle was a natural moneymaker. WWE had been teasing the battle for months, showing backstage vignettes with both Lesnar and Goldberg that eventually led to physical confrontations, costing both men championship opportunities. And so, the match as booked for WrestleMania 20, and to make it an even more extravagant affair, Stone Cold Steve Austin was put in as special guest referee. Certainly, having two of the biggest stars in the business clash with one of the faces of the industry as the referee would go over well, right? The, one of the biggest stars of all time, Stone Cold Steve Austin, referee, two of the biggest rising stars in wrestling history, co- going one-on-one, combating each other. It's a dream match, right? Enter the crowd from hell, better known as the Madison Square Garden Old Faithful, the true, quote-unquote, old-school wrestling fan. As the clinical definition of smart marks, the MSG crowd was always rambunctious, and they were always a crazy and smart audience that didn't do what the WWE told them to do. They openly cheered Psycho Sid in his rampage against Shawn Michaels. They welcomed Taz in a gallant and overwhelming fashion in his debut against Kurt Angle. These were the smartest fans in wrestling, and they certainly weren't going to let the WWE pull the wool over their eyes. Case in point, especially with Survivor Series of this past year. It had come to the light via the internet and the dirt sheets that Goldberg's one-year WWE contract was coming to an end, and that he had lost a lot of popularity since his debut. Goldberg had no intention of continuing continuing his in-ring status and wasn't about to give it his all. Lesnar, on the other hand, had already grown disenchanted with the whole experience of sports entertainment and was looking to pursue a professional football career with the Minnesota Vikings. These two competing factors left little to be desired after such an ultimate match was booked. Then the match actually happened and matters were even made worse. Lesnar and Goldberg teased actual wrestling for far too long, posturing to one another while the crowd went from bitter and unwelcoming to totally chaotic. I was there sitting in a a box seat. It was stunning how the crowd took over this match. The only cheers that came from the MSG fanatics were ones after Stone Cold Steve Austin took out both men. Neither wrestled in the WWE ever again, and no WrestleMania match has been so critically panned since. Goldberg going downstairs, and Goldberg, oh, what a swinging netbreaker by Bill Goldberg on Brock Lesnar. And now Goldberg sitting, perhaps, for one more opportunity at the spear. 
Hollywood Dream Match, WrestleMania 21. Since coming in as head writer of the WWE creative team, Brian Gewertz has gotten a lot of flack. Not every idea Brian developed was a success. In fact, a lot of them stunk to high heaven and gave fans complete and total headaches on Monday Night Raw. But for every poorly executed skit and over-the-top rope challenge, Gerwitz delivers a gem worthy of noting. WrestleMania 21 was one of those times. With an abundant supply of wrestlers still looking for something to do around the time of the year, which is very common each year, especially this year, Gortz took the advantage of the glitz and glamour of WrestleMania 21 and developed a ladder match that would change the face of the company. No, not the Money in the Bank ladder match, but instead the Hollywood Dream ladder match. The idea was simple. High above the ring, some kind of object or symbol would hang while a number of superstars attempted to grasp it. The man who finally pulled down the object would be granted any single wish they wanted from WWE. It was their dream fulfilled, so to speak. And when the concept came about, Gewertz planned to have none other than Mr. Monday Night Rob Van Dam be victorious and usher in a return for ECW. But as plans are made, they can go awry in an instant, as we know. And they did just that when Van Dam went down with a knee injury that required reconstructive surgery. RVD now required almost a year of rehab, thus scrapping the star of the match from competing. With the assistance of Vince McMahon, the contest underwent reconstructions of its own. McMahon wasn't high on the dream idea, quote-unquote, 
and instead consulted Gewurz to make it a contest for a title match at any time in the next calendar year. When Gewurz presented the final idea of a six-man ladder match for such an opportunity, McMahon agreed to it as long as the item hanging above the ring was a briefcase holding the championship contract. And so, out of the ashes of the Hollywood Dream match, we received the Money in the Bank ladder match. Edge would go on to defeat Chris Jericho, Shelton Benjamin, Kane, Christian, and Chris Benoit during the stellar match that would become a staple of WrestleMania for the next five years. Though there are no plans to feature another such contest at WrestleMania, there were rumors it was going to be brought back. For this year's WrestleMania, the Money in the Bank ladder match did spawn its own pay-per-view and collectible playset. Not too shabby, huh? RVD, meanwhile, would seek and get redemption by winning the second Money in the Bank ladder match just one year later. He would win the WWE title from John Cena and be the leader of a new ECW revolution that brought on the land of the extreme as a third WWE brand. And now, the WrestleMania recall. Only one way to win, that's to climb the ladder, retrieve the briefcase, and you have won yourself a title match for any time up to one year. This match is so dangerous. No pinfalls, no submissions, oh. no disqualifications or countouts. It is a human demolition derby. And what these men are putting oh. themselves through is a testament of how badly they want the chance to be champion. Amazing athletic ability. Oh, 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 oh. The crash and the burn. Oh, my God. Man, damn, damn, can he do it? He's got it. April 2nd, 2006, Rob Van Dam can now be called Mr. Money in the Bank. That was the WrestleMania recall. The three amigos, Batista, Guerrero, and Mysterio from WrestleMania 22. When Batista took down the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 21, he started up a new era of face that would take the WWE by storm over the next few years. At least, that was the plan. But after Batista jumped to SmackDown, the climate again changed and Batista now had two new friends that were legitimate threats to his kingdom in Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Both men had been working for years to elevate themselves to the status that main event players were earning. And now, they had it within their reach. Guerrero, a former WWE champion, began working with Batista in a series of matches designed to put over Latino Heat in a manner that wouldn't make the animal look weak. Meanwhile, Mysterio's year-long rivalry with Guerrero gave the WWE great numbers and action and seemed like the blow-off match could really make bank. That was the plan all along. With numerous paths to choose from, WWE Creative was looking towards a Mysterio-Guerrero match that would put the World Heavyweight title on the line. While keeping Batista relevant, with a high-profile score to settle against the against the up-and-coming Randy Orton. Two matches of that caliber would bring SmackDown a double-barreled evening at WrestleMania 22, while Raw booked headlining acts with John Cena and Triple H. It all seemed so simple that nothing could possibly take away this moment. But then, on November 13, 2005, just at the inception of the WrestleMania build, Eddie Guerrero tragically passed away in his hotel room. All plans, tentative or, tentative or confirmed either way, were put on hold, and it was suddenly up to the company to book Batista and Orton for the title, while finding a new way for Mysterio to honor his fallen friend. A tribute match between he and Benoit was discussed at some length before the next disaster. 
when Batista took the first major injury of his career. Now, both matches on the SmackDown side were a distant memory. Mysterio became the go-to guy while Orton fell behind the curve for nearly two years. Though he was always on top, or on the top rung of the ladder, Orton, along with Kurt Angle, would become the fall guys for the unlikely championship reign of Mysterio that began at WrestleMania 22. Months later, it would be one of the worst written and produced championship reigns in it of any in history, arguably. But you can't really fault the WWE for that. With all of the rewrites and booking changes that went into the event, it's a miracle Mysterio wouldn't also be sidelined, at least at the time. Is Angle tense enough or what? He's a wrestling machine. Raising trouble. Raising trouble. Raising trouble. No. What an off-drag counter. Off-drag out of the ring. WrestleMania 23, MVP becomes a real MVP. From his, his auspicious debut in the fall of 2006. From his aus, from his inauspicious debut in the fall of 2006 to his atrocious costume, Montel Vontavious Porter 
was a hard sell for fans coming into WrestleMania 23. With a pretty fresh gimmick, taken mostly from Jerry Maguire, MVP was an elite caliber athlete with an inferiority complex and a penchant for dealing out slams. But the MVP character needed a lot of work and ability if he was going to be keeping up with Chris Benoit at WrestleMania. After all, the most notable things about MVP to that point were his inflatable entrance tunnel and goofy getup, prompting fans to chant Power Ranger at the new star. In the ring, he was still rather green and didn't have a lot established when he was thrust into a feud for the United States Championship. Certainly, he was being fed to the wolves, and such was the feeling before he wrestled Benoit midway through the card. The company-wide belief that was if he couldn't be semi-decent here, he'd never get a big push anywhere. See examples like Drew McIntyre, Shelton Benjamin. So, with bright lights and pressure on, Porter showed he could play like a true MVP. He kept up with Benoit quite nicely and even earned a warm crowd response for his showboating. Though he lost the match, he showed incredible growth as a wrestler and ring psychologist, earning him a number of rematches that would continue the feud deep into the next few months. Eventually, MVP overcame Benoit and went on to be the longest reigning United States champion of all time. Such a feat was bestowed upon him for his diligent mania work a rarity coming out of that era that buries more prospects than it does build them. Though the MVP train would derail a little little less than a year later, he still had a remarkable campaign in 2007 that came directly from WrestleMania. He established that he could be a ratings and ticket draw while coming across more professional than anyone had ever expected. A shame, then, that a planned world title program was scrapped after he was found to have a heart condition and perhaps, more importantly, his biggest selling point, beating Benoit cleanly, couldn't be discussed on television anymore. The fireworks fiasco at WrestleMania 24. I was there to witness it. As WrestleMania 24 was drawing to a close and The Undertaker stood supreme, things were just heating up in the stands. As the fireworks exploded throughout the Citrus Bowl, a hot cable designed to carry streaming pyrotechnics down a wire snapped and launched into the audience. Then the fireworks went off in the stands, injuring more than 40 people. How and why the cable snap remains one of the greatest mysteries in WWE history, mainly because the company was incredibly tight-lipped on the matter. Some were treated with minor abrasions and injuries and then sent home, while a small few experienced burns from the stray pyrotechnic display. It would actually be the first of two separate incidents in two years involving The Undertaker and fireworks, though this was the only one to occur in the stands. WWE's corporate side took over, launching a full-scale investigation on the issue. Though no results were ever fully disclosed or documented, it is the belief that the company settled several small suits out of court with ticket compensation, merchandise, and medical payments rounding out out out-of-pocket change for McMahon, and that the company laid the blame solely on the Citrus Bowl and not their own technical crew. Accidents happen, and this one managed not to bruise the WWE's ego too harshly. WrestleMania 25, a true anniversary? In 2009, with the 25th WrestleMania helping the WWE reach an unprecedented milestone in pay-per-view event history, Vince McMahon decided that the event simply couldn't be big enough. And so, McMahon decided to forego logic, reasoning, and common sense by dubbing the event not only WrestleMania 25, but also the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. A note to all you mathematicians, historians, and listeners of the English language. 
in order for something to celebrate the 25th anniversary, an annual event must be taking place for 26 years, not 25. So even though it was the 25th WrestleMania, the silver anniversary wasn't actually due until WrestleMania 26. But to Vince McMahon, it was like saying that you were were a one-year-old when you were born, and it was incredibly bold, and it was really a it was basically a bold move to market the event so much that we weren't even calling it WrestleMania 25 on television. Instead, commentators, announcers alike were instructed to refer to the event as the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania, even though every single one of them knew this was to be false. Ironically, had it lasted as long or been as successful, the only notable 25th anniversary that year for professional wrestling wouldn't have been WrestleMania. It would have been for Starcade. But talking about the legacy of Starcade and the stories behind Starcade should be done at another time, and they'll be coming up on future Beyond the Bells. For now, we'll stick to the story about a company of minions who dare not to explain their, to their boss that 25 and 26 were different numbers. That's not how anniversaries work. Brett's family to the rescue at WrestleMania 26. Bret Hart is no longer a wrestler. He's no longer physically in any sort of condition or shape to wrestle. And the mere thought that he would enter a ring to compete with another wrestler is simply foolish. So when it came time for a showdown with Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 26, fans anticipated just how it would go down. What they didn't see coming was the WWE pulling a fast one and extended the dialogue and rules of the match to such extremes that there was hardly a payoff worth writing about or even talking about. First, Vince McMahon brought out Hart's family and the Hart dynasty in an effort to show the odds were in his favor. Then, Bret turned the table, showing that his family would never sell him out as they sat at ringside, and his brother Bruce remained in the ring to referee the encounter where Bret would pummel Vince for several minutes. It was, an, it was easily one of the worst matches of the year, and ended quite mercifully when the entire Hart family helped to lay waste to McMahon and Bret slapped on the sharpshooter. Though the Hitman was once again on the rise, fans begged the question, why the sudden change? Did WWE lose faith in Hart? Was Vince micromanaging the situation? Was the surprise running cancelled? The truth is far simpler than all this, for the WWE had planned the talking segment and Brett Brigade escort from the very beginning. They even cut Rey Mysterio's match with CM Punk down to six minutes to ensure they had enough time for these shenanigans. Truth be told... They were doing everything in their power to make Brett feel comfortable getting in the ring and feel like he was truly okay for a recovering stroke victim to do. Brett was hesitant to participate in the whole thing, and the company felt like he might pull out of the situation if it appeared too dangerous. So precautionary measures were taken to plot out the entire sequence weeks ahead of time. All that was left to keep Bruce around Brett just long enough so he could stabilize the hitman. It's a shame that such a... uh, popular and infamous storyline or rivalry from real life taken into the ring was ruined in a very atrocious overbooked match. Ladies and gentlemen,
And we'll wrap up this edition of the WrestleMania stories with WrestleMania 27. Edge wrestles his final match and retains the World Heavyweight Championship. Edge was slated to take on Alberto Del Rio for the World Heavyweight Championship. His buddy Christian by his side to combat Alberto Del Rio with Ricardo Rodriguez. What was surprising initially was the match was kicking off WrestleMania 27. A world championship match kicking off a WrestleMania. The first time that's ever happened. But that was not the most historic note of the match. What none of the fans knew, Edge fans or WWE or WrestleMania worldwide knew that this was going to be Edge's, Adam Copeland's last match inside the squared circle. Suffering neck injuries prior in his career, Edge found out from doctors that he was no longer in proper condition to compete, and doing so would be a risk not only to his future career, but his life. So in turn, Edge wound up wrestling his final match, which possibly could have changed storyline, the ending of the storyline, as I believe Alberto Del Rio was slated to win the World Heavyweight Championship, a culmination of winning the Royal Rumble two months prior, but instead, Edge was put over Alberto Del Rio, and all of us were questioning the decision until the next night on Raw when Edge announced his retirement from professional wrestling. What a way to end your career winning and retaining the World Heavyweight Championship at a WrestleMania, and then this year being inducted into the 2012 WWE Hall of Fame. Edge came in young, 
kind of wacky and crazy with uh, Christian. They were a great tag team, a very innovative tag team for this company. They revolutionized tables, ladders, and chairs. Their innovation changed how we look at TLC now. Edge hasn't changed from the guy he is from day one. He's walked in there. He's the guy that always meets you with a great smile and a handshake or a hug and goes out there night after night, no matter what kind of pain he's in, no matter how tired he is, and gives the fans 100%. I'm proud of Edge for accepting what the doctors have told him, for remembering uh, how important life is and leaving uh, our industry at the very top. He's an 11-time world heavyweight champion. That's a monumental accomplishment. I think anyone that's at the elite of their profession that's forced to retire early, it's, it sucks. There's no other way to explain it. He is a superstar. hard to put my finger on uh, there's so many thoughts there's so many things that I think about it it's a tremendous loss for the company for the locker room obviously for the WWE universe but more than that as a friend I just want him to be healthy Edge and I became friends because of the WWE it was the, the very root of our friendship as we started to move along through high school we both realized that this is what we want to do with our lives. Now you're about to enter the hallowed circle. This was the place this right where all the magic happened. And uh, this was the wrestling ring. These were like the ropes we'd go, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We both wanted to, to become transcendent WWE superstars. And we would go to shows in Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Just sit there and we'd just stare at the ring. And we'd just say, man, one day we're going to be in that ring. And, and um, you know, we didn't know how or what we were doing. But we knew we were on some sort of journey. You know, it's just crazy to think back now of all the gymnasium floors that we slept on and rowdy hotel rooms we slept in, you know, driving, you know, eight guys to a car to, to make it to a show. But we were getting life experiences and we were getting experiences in the ring and things that were building character and making us into who we were going to be in the future. And like I said, we didn't know where this journey was taking us, but we were doing it together and that's, that's what mattered. swirling all day long we've heard speculation that tonight the 11-time world champion has an announcement to make that will shock the entire wwe universe it didn't really hit me till i saw him step through the ropes and i just started crying right away i said to myself after that i said you know what i i, I cried my tears but i think i'd rather focus on being happy of the fact that he had such an amazing career lived out his dream which so few people get to do i want to come in and try and gain some respect and i just knew that failure wasn't an option there is going to be a piece of him that goes in the ring with me every night now that he has to step away because unless you experience what it's like to step through those ropes there's no feeling like it in the world and that's the hardest thing to step away from is those faces the the sounds the the vibe that you get from being out there in front of the wwe universe from that, I'm going to take a little piece of him with me in the ring every time I step in the ring from here on out for the rest of my career.
situation where if, if he continues the life of a WWE superstar, he won't have much of a life outside of the WWE. It just caught Edge a lot by surprise. I didn't think he thought it was that serious. We, we never do. You know, you never put things into perspective until it's broken or until it happens. I'm so thankful for him that he was able to speak in front of everybody and he was able to walk out under his own power. Edge is in its purest form a wrestler. You know, he he is a superstar. But damn it, he's just good in the ring. (laughs) He always keeps a match log of how many matches he's had. And I don't know what the total is, but I guarantee I'm in at least 35% of We had so many matches together. When he cashed in the money in the bank the very first time, Elimination Chamber in Albany, and he won it. A lot of people said that kid was nothing but a glorified tag team wrestler. That he didn't have what it took to be a standalone main event player in this business, and he shut a lot of people up. that Edge has got to go because of an injury. I really have sympathy for the guy. If you're an optimistic person, you look at it like kind of Edge did, and your career was done in your own terms, and you know you got to do this main event, WrestleMania, you, you've accomplished everything you ever wanted to accomplish, you're in the history books, most titles won by any WWE superstar in the history of the WWE. I was watching him in high school. October of 99, I had just left the Marine Corps and never been in a ring before. And my dad took me to introduce me to Jack Lanza and Tony Daria, who were backstage in St. Louis at a show. When I was first got my foot in the door, and I met Edge, and we talked, and he wished me luck. And I'll never forget that. And now, out of my top ten favorite matches, two or three are with Edge. To summarize Edge's career, I'd have to say that he's a man in this industry that has been everywhere, seen everything, done everything, has no regrets, and can retire now, you know, injured or no injury, he can retire as a world champion, and he has the respect from not only the WWE Universe, but from each and every one of us. That's the worst for a superstar. You don't want to be told that you can't do this anymore. You want to pretty much leave on your own terms and say, okay, it's my time to throw the towel and and live a good life afterwards. It's very sad because I love Edge. He's a good friend of mine. And now I just wish him the best. He followed his dream because I knew this was a passion of his and a dream of his to become WWE champion. He's the one and only. He's the rated R superstar. The only thing I'm waiting for now is seeing Edge walk in to the Hall of Fame because he is a Hall of Famer. He's done incredible throughout his years in the WWE. No, there's nothing that I can think of that he hasn't done. Now I just wish him the best in health and to hope see him one day in the Hall of Fame. Bittersweet, unbelievably happy for the career he's had, for the longevity he's had, for the things he's accomplished. He's had this amazing career. You know, Edge is not a guy that got anything handed to him. He worked for everything he had. He literally uh, put his body on the line every night to get it. 
I'm sad to see it end before, you know, he maybe wanted it to. Happy to see it end before it ended in another way that wouldn't have been so happy. I'm sure he would have wanted it to end a little differently, but I don't know. Your last match being a main event, defending the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania is a pretty good way to go. When he just goes out there and he lets you see Adam Copeland, you just can't not like the guy. He's still like that little kid that just likes going out there and having fun in the ring and performing. That's the best. You're just out there having fun, making 70,000 people stand up and scream, making people excited all around the world. That's what this business is all about. And he was better at it than damn near everybody. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. Are you feeling down in the dumps because you live outside the United States and maybe you can't get the WWE Network? Maybe you'd like to watch Netflix from the American region. But since you're in another country, it doesn't work for you? Well, I've got the solution for you. The SNS Radio Network is recently affiliated with unblockus.com. If you go to the SNS Radio Network page and click the unblockus.com banner ad, you can sign up to get a VPN. Not sure what a VPN is? Well, it basically protects your identity online. Basically, it gives you an address online where the content you want becomes available. Here's how it works. When you click the link on the SNS Radio Network banner, it takes you to unblockus.com. And from that link, you can sign up for a free one-week trial. You decide to sign up afterward, it's only $4.99 a month. And when you think about it, that's great savings. $4.99 a month allows you to watch American Netflix or any region of Netflix that you'd like to watch. And here's the biggie, folks. If you don't have the WWE Network, you live in the UK, you live in another country outside the United States, unblockus.com can set you up for $4.99 a month with a VPN that will allow you to have access to the WWE Network and all regions of Netflix. And you can watch it on your PS3, your Xbox 360, any device you have, you're able to use with unblockus.com. And the best part about it is, I'm not just talking about this, I'm using this service myself. So once again, go to the SNS Radio Network, click on the Unblock Us banner, and from there, sign up. And if you do that, you help to support the SNS Radio Network as they give a kickback to us to help keep all the shows on the SNS Radio Network for free. Once again, unblockus.com, giving you freedom online. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. Just a reminder for you to listen to Sunday Night Showdown every pay-per-view Sunday as I'll be joined by my broadcast partner, the Bronx father, Tony J. Mirabella, Harmony Boom Boom Jackson, and Mark the Shark DiCarlo as we provide the best pay-per-view coverage of the WWE. 
and it starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time, every pay-per-view Sunday. Sunday Night Showdown, your home for WWE pay-per-view coverage. WWE Network is way over the top. You get every live pay-per-view event, including WrestleMania. All this for only $9.99 per month. You also get 24-7 live programming and access to WWE's massive on-demand library. Finally, you can have it all for only $9.99 a month. Go to WWE.com and get your one-week trial for free. Are you a fan of wrestling shoot DVDs, wrestling action figures, wrestling memorabilia? Well, I'm pleased to announce that the SNS Radio Network is now officially an affiliate of HighSpots.com. So when you go to the SNS Radio Network site, click on the High Spots banner on the main page, and it takes you directly to High Spots. Now, I'm not saying you need to buy something from HighSpots.com, but if you do, you're helping to support the SNS Radio Network by going through High Spots on the link on the SNS Radio Network page. And every purchase gives a kickback to the SNS Radio Network, helping us keep all the programming here free for you. Yo, this is Roddy Roddy Piper on the SNS Network. Baby, you should listen to it just to hear what I got to say. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed way back in time well two years ago from beyond the bell but over the past 30 years of wrestlemania history the stories you may not have heard of the untold stories of wrestlemania that's volume one we don't forget you can go into the archives for volume two of the stories behind wrestlemania on beyond the bell at snsradionetwork.com and ringannouncing.com follow me on twitter at sean beckerman beyond the bell at btbcast Send us comments, questions, hate mail, of course, at btbcast at ringannouncing.com. Folks, we'll see you tonight for the WWE 2014 Hall of Fame induction review on Beyond the Bell. Lita, Carlos Colon, and the Ultimate Warrior, their careers will be documented, archived with great reviews, my thoughts, my experiences witnessing them live, as well as old school classic audio reliving their historic careers all this coming tonight at snsradionetwork.com streaming live as well as archived at ringannouncing.com for the beckerman clan here at new orleans we'll see you tonight and of course throughout the whole weekend all of us here will stay old school my friends